In today's episode of the Sixers Beat, Rich and I talk about, I mean, what else are we going to talk about? We talk about Joel Embiid's shoulder sprain, which will be reevaluated in a week. We talk about how the Sixers will manage without not only Embiid, but also with Simmons on the shelf. We talk about how the Sixers will fare in this upcoming four-game West Coast road trip. And we spend a few minutes talking about Glenn Robinson III not knowing his role. And with that out of the way, enjoy the podcast. All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bodner, joined by Rich Hoffman on the Sixers Beat, a part of the Athletics Podcast Network. How you doing, Rich? I ask these questions, but I know the answer. I know the answer. It's somewhere between bad and good, I would say. <laughs> so, we were talking before the podcast, and I couldn't remember if our lad pot, last podcast was when Joel was healthy or not. No, just one all-star was hurt. <laughs> Only one all-star. We're losing them so quickly, we can't even remember who was available in our last podcast. But at that point, it was only Ben Simmons with the nerve impingement in his lower back that was injured. Now we have a second. Joel Embiid, who has a left shoulder sprain, and he has no significant structural damage, which the fact that they said significant is in itself at least of minor significance. And his uh, his progress will be symptom-based, and he will be reevaluated in approximately one week. And as is our typical... Note here, reevaluated in one week does not mean return to play in one week. The fact that it is symptom-based seems like a good note. Seems it good, seems like but it's it, also it, the Sixers, so. It is also the Sixers. And sort of like what we were talking about with Ben when we were like, well, okay, he has an, a, a, a pinched nerve, but like, what's, what's causing the nerve to be pinched? We don't really know everything that's going on with Joel here either. What kind of a sprain is it? AC, SC, SC is the other one, right? Yep. AC or SC. I want to say AC and DC, but that that's not a that's, that's not a, a band. That's yeah. not a shoulder. Um, and is it like what 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 grade of a sprain is it? Like we we just don't know. So we sort of have to take the Sixers at their word for this, and luckily they've never led us astray. No. And hope that it's on a shorter end of what could be possible. Like you you see stuff anywhere from a week to a month to, with the way injuries heal around here, who knows if he even has a shoulder? So we're, we hope it's on the lower end of that spectrum. Brett Brown, but, uh, after the game, yeah. said that, you know, he was, I, I think, in describing it, said loud and clear, we should hear that there's no structural damage and that he'll be back for the stretch run. And selfishly, that's a good thing for a coach, but also for just Joel's friend. I will couch that by saying that Brett Brown, before Ben got hurt the second time, or, or after the back tightness, before the pinched nerve, he was pretty now, optimistic. Now, Rich, they're saying that that back tightness had nothing to do with the pinched nerve. And I talked to a doctor, and there's a chance that it might not have, but it's still pretty suspicious. I don't know. Here, uh, here's my whole thing on that. And look, if, if you're going to tell me there's not, that they had nothing to do with, like you said, pretty suspicious is the absolute nicest way I could respond to that. But also, like, how would you know? It seems like one of those things where we don't have proof that it had anything to do with it but we can't rule it out. Like that seems like sort of like the best case interpretation, but whatever. If you want to say that he had back soreness, missed the game, came back and within four minutes had a pinched nerve, hell of a coincidence, but okay. Okay. Yeah. And the, the other thing I would say there too is 
just because he wasn't able to make it four minutes and that the plan was to bring him back to the locker room during stoppages, he shouldn't have been playing regardless if this was a coincidence or not. So, Anyway, uh, what, what were you going on there about before we deviated? I forget. Uh, I forget too. It's yeah. not great. Hashtag it's not been great. one of the lower morale weeks in Sixers land, I have to say. <laughs> the uh, I- I'm trying to think if there was... A worse one? I mean, maybe when Joel broke his foot the second time? I, I don't know, but... I man, mean, depending on where you were on the team building, whether you thought they were doing a good job or a bad job, but you could throw in the Jerry Colangelo randomly walking in during a or, or before a a um, a Spurs game, which they then lost by like 50. And then... Uh, oh, yeah. And then the, the, the resignation. I think for a lot of fans listening to this podcast, those two would be there. Certainly Joel Embiid's second foot. The second time he needed surgery on his foot, that would be up there. That one was different though because there were no championship stakes at that time. That was no. just oh man, we got to watch another season yeah. of bad basketball where there's no potential star on the court. That's mainly what that one was. But yeah, this is this is pretty low though because when you were talking about this season, I was thinking back. I'm like maybe those two home games they lost in three days in the, in the middle of December since that's the only real time they've lost a, not the only real time, the only time period they've lost a, a game at home, which is still, you know, if they if they win their next four home games, they will have gone in the entire winter season without losing at the Wells Fargo Center. They will have gone from fall 2019, the end of fall 2019, to spring 2020 without losing a game at the Wells Fargo Center. And yet if you listen to this podcast or read us read what we write, the sky is absolutely falling. It's weird, isn't it? It's crazy. It's the craziest thing I've ever seen. Yeah, I mean, I would say for low points, too, the two four-game road losing streaks as well. Like, Yeah, for sure. That wasn't a box of chocolates either. The, uh, yeah, Never but know this what you're going to get. This is pretty low, though, because you, know, you have two all-star players who are hurt plus a team that doesn't look like they have the ability to contend for a title even when they're healthy. And I think... You know, another thing here is obviously Joe's injury is brutal because he's one of the best 10 players in the NBA, maybe even better than that when he's on his game. At least there seems to be, you know, and we have to take the Sixers' word for it, at least there seems to be some hope that he'll be back fairly quickly and that his playoffs aren't necessarily in jeopardy. But God, when you add that on top of the mysterious timeline and injury that Ben suffered. It's, whew, it's pretty rough. Yeah. And I mean, it is. So the combination of the two injuries sort of is masking the seriousness of the Ben injury, which is still far and away the bigger concern of this team's playoff run. But the two injuries are sort of masking that, oh, by the way, this team was not playing well before any of this happened anyway. They were getting their was, ass kicked in that Cleveland game when Joe was in too. Yeah. Yep. Yes, they were. Um, and they probably would have turned it around, but ugh, it's bad. Sorry. Yeah. No, they, I mean, they, they were playing like shit. They were playing shit defense. And that included when Joel was on the court. It, very, That might have been the most frustrating game of the season. Even even with the diminished expectations of no Ben and Embiid only playing eight minutes, like you pointed out, I think they got outscored by nine points in those eight minutes. So it's not like they were executing then. And then they came out. Al Horford stunk. Tobias Harris stunk. Josh Richardson stunk. You're talking about a combined, what, $70 million between those three players. <sighs> maddening, maddening. Um, 
I feel like there has been the, the tide is sort of turning on this front office and coaching staff too, and just the, the entire organization. Not in that there wasn't some level of angst before now, because, you know, we've documented it. The, the way that Brian Colangelo took over, the way that Brian Colangelo was hired. Twitter accounts. Yeah, all that stuff. Just the, the slow drain of the uh, Sixers' assets that Sam Hinkie left them when he, uh, when he resigned. I, obviously, that stuff has all been there, but I think for a while, at least you could throw yourself into the good basketball that was happening kind of regardless of the process that the front office was taking. But man, when uh, when you're out of those assets and you're committed to these players who are underperforming or just don't feel like they're necessarily championship level, we'll see if that uh, if they make us eat our words on that or, or they get closer than we think. But uh, then I think you know I, I feel like people's antennas have uh, have popped up here over the past I don't know couple weeks. Yeah. All right, so we have <laughs> we're gonna have a whole off season to talk about that. Yeah, that's I don't, don't want to get too deep into that. But <laughs> we um, hear you. Let's. Uh, yeah, yeah, we we definitely hear you. And I mean, I I wrote a piece earlier this week about why um, you know, why those decisions has have left the Sixers where they are. But we'll have a whole off season to dissect that. Let's uh, which which might end up being a little longer than I think any of us really expected. And, and by the way, I still think this team can and. Who knows? Maybe with all these injuries, now they have a, a better chance of a six seed and they have a better chance of going to the Eastern Conference Finals. I still <laughs> think they can end up beating any team in a playoff series other than Milwaukee. Uh, that is sort of the the, the weirdness of this season. That Let's would be couple- that would be so fitting, by the way. Oh my god! If they stunk so. stunk up the joint, Joe and Ben got healthy exactly as the playoffs started, and they took out Boston and Toronto. And by the way, if they did that, holy hell, does the regular season not matter? Yeah. Those two teams have been about as good of a regular season story as you can see. Just player development from the young guys, strong play from from the old guys, good coaching. They deal with injuries well, depth. And then the Sixers are just kind of a mess. And you're right. Like, I don't know if, if Joe and Ben were healthy. I, I don't think it would be crazy if they beat either, either of those teams. If they beat no. Milwaukee, I think it would be crazy. But. Yeah. They, I mean, we've said it before. They match up well against those teams. And you can throw Miami in that mix. Too. Miami, who, by the way, can't beat anyone. But I think they match up well with Miami, too. Yeah. All right. So let's go to some of the replacements. I guess we'll start off with the big three. Because there was such a, a, a weird, like, you had against the Cavs. Again, Tobias was terrible. Al was terrible. Josh was bad. And then against the Knicks, Al was incredible. Tobias was a man on fire. Like he was absolutely incredible. There, Tobias went from there was one game. Mike pointed out one where he had I forget who he had switched on him, but he he kept deferring away from it. Then Kevin there was another Love, one. I think. Well, and then there was another one where he had Kevin Love in transition, and he had half the court wide open, and he didn't even contemplate taking Love off the dribble. He just pulled up for a contested three, and it was like, what are you doing, Tobias? What are you doing? And he just has these stretches where it, it it's maddening, and then he comes out against the Knicks, and he was posting up. He was taking it to the rack. He was going strong. It was a completely, like, I think he had, what, 14 in the first quarter, something like that. Quick trigger threes. He was incredible. And it's just like, why? 
Like, it's so frustrating. So <laughs> look, I don't think, I think Tobias is by and large overrated. Like, and not because even of a mindset, there's just skill sets missing. There's ball handling, there's passing, there's creativity, vision, all the stuff that we've talked about, drawing fouls, all the stuff that, I mean, we brought up when they traded for him, signed him during the season. I still think he's going to end up making shots at some point, more shots than he does. But by and large, like, I don't think he's as good of a player as some people give him credit for. Like, I don't think he's an all-star caliber player. But he has what he did against the Knicks. Like, he can attack mismatches way more than he is. He can pull up confidently and shoot threes. And it's just when he has has two games like that, literally in back-to-back nights in the span of 24 hours, it is just infuriating, especially when you have, you know, your two major guys out, your two focal points out. And it's like, you've got to, you've got to completely reimagine your team. And it would be great if you knew what you were going to get out of Tobias Harris on a night, night-to-night basis. And you just want to say Knicks suck. But their yeah, defense is actually like twenty fifth ish, right? Yeah, it's just bad. No, it's a little lower than that. I think it's a little higher than that. I think it was low twenties or uh, high twenties. Sorry, like twenty one, twenty two. And for a while, it was a little higher. Cleveland is a tire fire, yes. and he couldn't do anything against yep. them. And it, yeah, it just didn't make any sense. I don't really have much to add to what you said on Tobias because I think you summed it up pretty well. Looking forward to this four-game trip, though, if I were Brett, I would tell him, and I would tell him this on the plane, your career high is 39 points. I want you setting a new career high at some point on this trip. Be aggressive, fire away, force the issue if you have to, if you make mistakes because you're out of control or, or driving too hard, I will live with that. Because without Ben and without Joel... There is no need for you to fit in. Just shoot. Just fire away. That's the only chance we have. Because that game in Cleveland on Wednesday was unacceptable. Yep. Totally unacceptable, Mr. Jim Lynham, as he would say. The uh, So the one thing I will say that is somewhat of a positive with those guys out, um, and I wrote this on theathletic.com slash Philly. What's our promo deal? I'm so no, bad no, at slash this. Sixers beat, and you can get forty percent off of a yearly subscription. Come on, that's man. why they pay you the big bucks? Well, we've we've got to get they've got to go to Sixers beat so we get credit for it. It's very important. Very yes, important. Yeah. it is. Um, it really is though. So beat and I, the play that I mentioned a couple pods ago, they keep running it, and it just on that play it allows Horford to play from the elbows. He was in triple double ish territory last night, I believe. I think he had nine assists at the end of the yeah. game. Couple things there. Fifteen seven nine. Yep. Yeah. So not bad. For Horford, with those two guys out, there's no excuse anymore. He needs to be good on this West Coast trip in a similar way that Tobias needs to be good. Not not the same exact way on the court. They don't have to win all the games either, but he can't oh, be me, a zero. Give me a game. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and even in the games you lose, like I don't know. If you get blown out by the Clippers or the Lakers, okay. Like that that might happen. But they're going to play through him a ton. And he'll have the opportunity to put up numbers, just like he did in Boston. And so that one positive sign I mentioned a little earlier. And I think, obviously, there does need to be a disclaimer here. When you lose Embiid, you lose Simmons, there's so much that is lost. Hashtag analysis. You know, post-scoring, foul drawing. That's why we get paid to analyze these teams, Rich. Yep. Creation, three-point shot creation, fast break points to all NBA defenders, all that good stuff. But the one positive change 
that I thought was apparent against the Knicks is that when you play with Horford at the five and Tobias at the four and the, uh, the motley crew of guards that they have playing right now, the floor is open. Take away the league's only efficient high volume post-up guy and a guy who doesn't shoot outside of five feet. And you can credibly play five out. You know, you saw Cork Maz get those backdoor cuts. You saw Tobias, if he didn't get all the way to the rim, he had a lot of space to do those bully ball drives. And obviously against the Knicks, again, I don't want to take too much from it. Sixer shot really well from deep and that won't happen every night, but they took really good care of the ball. And that's something I'm curious to see if they can keep up because when the floor is spread with those guys and Horford is playing center and the ball is moving, they're just reading and reacting, you know, it, it was humming a little bit in that game and they, they have a chance to compete if they're their defense is okay and they're uh they're making shots but that's the one change i do see the floor is wide open compared to when ben and joe play yeah that's about it though yep all right let's take a quick break from the podcast to tell you about doordash new year new you win back some me time this year and pamper yourself order with doordash so you can focus on you doordash has something for every lifestyle on the go with no time to waste order pick up and pass the line Having trouble organizing a meal with your friends? We make it easy with group ordering. Delivery is more than just pizza in 2020. With the selection of your favorite flavors from across the globe, you can order world cuisine from the comfort of your living room with DoorDash. DoorDash brings all of America's flavors to your door. Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be delivered to you wherever you are. With door-to-door delivery in all 50 states, Puerto Rico, Canada, and Australia, you can order from your local go-tos or choose your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, Chick-fil-A, and the Cheesecake Factory. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter code SIXERS. That's $5 off your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter code SIXERS. Don't forget, that's code SIXERS for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. And now back to the show. All right, let's uh, shake. Getting the start for essentially for Ben these past uh, past couple games it was also starting late January, early February. A couple games has put together a pair of really nice games now. Twenty against the Cavs, nineteen against the Knicks on just seven shots, made all five. He has made nine of his last eleven three pointers over these last two games. It also had a, a five for seven against Milwaukee. A couple, granted, that was mostly garbage time, but it had, had another nice showing against Milwaukee. You don't expect to make, you know, nine out of eleven from three, but he, ever since he got really back into the rotation back on January twenty second, he is averaging ten point six points, shooting fifty percent from the field, and fifty point nine percent from three point range. Fifty one, fifty one, eighty one splits. It's not bad. So. How much of this do you think is real, I guess? And look, we're going to get some decent chunk now to to, to look at it. Uh, it looks like he is certainly ahead of the rotation of pretty much all the other options, including inclu- including the Corkster, who uh, you know had a pair of, of of incredible games not too long ago, and then and then sort of fell off of a cliff. But how much how much of this shake stock are you buying here? I love how you can take Cork Maz's name and make it a million. Names, by the way, <laughs> yes, Cork the Corkster Furky. There's a lot I mean, of stuff. we've been we've been doing Firkin puns for half a decade now. Yep. Um the the one assi- uh the one stat that you did not mention with his uh 
I'm looking at it right now. 357 minutes in the past five weeks since Richardson went down in Toronto and Shake was thrust back into the rotation. He started the Lakers game the next one. 4.1 assists to 1.5 turnovers, too. Um, I've been impressed with them. I mean, you know, it's your thing to say, well, he's Shake Milton, and I agree with that. He, uh, you know, his pedigree is not of a high-level NBA player, but what I like about Shake is a couple of things, and specifically what he, how he's played recently. Tobias, after the Knicks game, mentioned his fearlessness, and there's something to that in that even when he makes a play that I don't necessarily like, he makes these wild drives where he really yeah. has no separation. Is moving. The only one he missed against the Knicks was, Knicks was one he got absolutely stuffed at the rim. Yeah, he's moving like as fast as possible, and obviously, you know, he's not elevating above the rim or even close to it. But you know, sometimes it'll get blocked, and sometimes uh, he'll make the layup out of nowhere. Like I'm thinking, the shot he made against the Nets, the miracle layup he made in overtime, and like sometimes it's a bad shot, but I think it's a it's a sign of a generally confident player. I mean, if you'll remember when he started in that Lakers game on primetime a few weeks ago, we were like, I can't believe they're starting shake. And, you know, he, he got in there and he wasn't phased by the moment of playing LeBron and AD on, uh, on national television. So I like that. But in general, I kind of just, I like his mind. Like he's, he's a poised player. He has a good feel for the game. And if you're running an offense where he's hitting someone on the elbows and then cutting for the most part, I think he can do that. Maybe he gets a look at three if someone goes under a screen. Maybe if the first few options on the play break down, Horford or Tobias can come back to him and run a pick and roll or a dribble handoff. But the key there is that it's against a scrambling defense. And and he's making plays against defenders that are moving compared to just, hey, Shake, here's 15 pick and roll calls. Let's Let's see you cook. And with his shooting coming around, you know, you mentioned his numbers already. He looks... He looks like an NBA caliber guard. I don't want to uh, go too far here. You know, he's not a starting NBA point guard. And the only reason he fits is because they're going to run a lot of the offense through Horford. And would I be surprised if he had a couple duds at Staples Center over the next few days? No. No, I would not. But he's been pretty good. Yeah, I mean, my biggest concern is just creating shots inside the arc. Like over the last four games where he's averaging just under 16 points per game, he's averaging fewer than two made shots inside of the three-point line. Like, he's getting by right now. You know, he made five threes against Milwaukee, four against Cleveland, five against the Knicks, and that sort of propelled him. And look, Sixers need a bomber, so like if he keeps doing that, nobody's going to complain. But when that shot goes cold, I agree with you. I like sort of the poise he plays with. I just don't know if physically he is going to be able to get that much separation on his drives no, he doesn't. to where when that shot is not going down, that he's going to still be an effective offensive player. So like, look, the Sixers don't have a lot of options. He can play on ball a little bit in a pick and roll game. Like he's got a little bit of wiggle to what he does. Uh, he can shoot off the dribble. He can shoot off the catch. Really that puts him ahead of anyone else in the running for this quiet point guard tournament. I'm sick of quiet tournaments, by the way. We've got to come up with a new name for this. 
but that put, puts him up towards the top, especially alongside, I mean, we said this last podcast and he's had a pair of really good games since then. So it's not going to, we're not going to back off of it, but that makes him a, a nice fit with Al Horford. And, and, and like you said, that sort of elbow B deny offense they are going to be running a lot of, but I, you know, do I have some concerns? Yeah, I still have some concerns. Oh yeah. But he has certainly earned the right to play through them and see what he can do over these next couple of weeks. What are the titles of your articles uh, that regard replacing Ben and Joel like the best of bad options? Yeah, imperfect options for a major role. And I'm I did two of them, and really I should have done a third one, but I'm I, I can't anymore. The first one was to replace Al Horford in the starting lineup. Second one was to replace Ben Simmons, and I I just I punted on doing a third one because I've I've already written that story too many times. For an imperfect option, he has played very well. Oh, he's played incredible. Absolutely. Absolutely. Do you remember Shake's real name, by the way? Nope. Malik. There you go. It's one of those that is so good that it's kind of stuck, and it's his real name. Sco- yeah. Scoop Jardine is the only other one I can think of. I didn't have any nicknames as a kid that were that good, but oh well. Poor one out for Rich. All right. Um, so, the other starter, the other recent starter that was promoted to the starting lineup that came with no controversy at all, Glenn Robinson III. Any thoughts on that there, Rich? Oh, man. <laughs> what a stupid controversy. So I guess we'll start from, you know, a little bit of background. I mean, me and you, we get labeled a lot as Brett Brown defenders or Brett Brown apologists, right? Because people think he hooks us up with yeah, all, all those scoops that we're, uh, we're relying on to do our jobs, yep. Yeah, and it's not the case. Like, the Sixers organization has done a lot of stuff wrong, like the actual stuff that matters, building a team around the two superstars you have. They've done that poorly. But they keep stuff pretty internal for the most part, and Brett is included there, even if he does the media part of his job well. But that's like the public-facing media part of his job. That's not just with us. But I, th- I think it's fair to say that we both like him as a person. And we think the idea of firing him in the middle of this season without any realistic replacement is stupid. And thus, we don't really entertain any conversation about it. Fair to say? Sure. And after the season, Brett's probably in trouble if it ends the way we think it will. And look, like wh- while I still think he's a good coach and he does a lot of stuff well and that coaching... It's really easy to play Captain Hindsight the way people on Twitter do. I don't think the idea of replacing him, if this season continues on this trajectory, is crazy. That alone isn't going to fix everything, like the angry right. Twitter people will tell me it will. But what it's been a tough I mostly push back against is people who think that replacing the coach is going to magically, like any problem. I, I got into it recently where somebody was like, oh, Glenn Robinson is missing shots now because because of the coach. And it's like, no, Glenn Robinson's missing shots because he's missing shots. Like there's people treat changing the coach as a magical fix for every problem. And I think they overlook some much deeper rooted issues, both in the ownership, in the management, and in the player personnel. And that's why I push back mostly against the coach. Like if you want to tell me, first of all, the coach is the easiest thing to change. So if something's not working, not only do they get blamed because I mean front office isn't going to blame themselves. That's not how human behavior typically works. But also it's like, if you think there's even a 
10% chance that you can get Ben Simmons shooting or Joel Embiid in shape by changing the coach? Sure, do it. Like that, that's the easiest change to make. It's also, and this is key, the least consequential, because I think that really gets to the underside of what you and I believe that sort of informs our coverage is that coaching is, this is a player's league. So we focus on the players. We focus on the people who select the players. And unless you're one of the five to seven best coaches or one of the worst coaches, teams tend to take the take on the 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 personality of their stars and the strengths and weaknesses of their stars and their roster construction. So if Brett doesn't like the best argument for Brett for me, if 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 you don't want to bring him back, is he did not get Joel Embiid in shape. Maybe the message is getting stale. The locker room isn't responding the way you want it to. The stars are not taking that next step. Change the voice. See if that can change. It's a little bit like a mini-me version. And I mean mini-me in terms of he hasn't accomplished as much. Version of Andy Reid. No, it's, Andy, it's also size too. <laughs> whereas I think Andy Reid's, I mean, he, he he's proven that since he left. He's an incredible coach. And I think he got too much blame for what happened here. But at some point, you just need to see if you could change the voice and change the outcome. If you want to convince me of that, that's to me the most cogent argument. Not that Glenn Robinson has gone over from three-point range and 100 minutes out of Sixers because he's got different coaches now. It's just, I think I think people lump way too many problems. Here's what I'll say. Just don't trick yourself and think that's going to magically solve every one of these problems. That's really my stance on everything. Yep. So when Glenn Robinson III comes out and says that stuff about his role, and if your first thought is, like, classic Brett Clown, get it? Brett I got Clown. It. Yeah. 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 Some people say that. I don't think too many. But, but if you're doing that, especially if you're saying Brett Clown, you're too entrenched in your position and not using your head. I mean, if you're watching these games closely at all, you're seeing Glenn Robinson brick wide the F open corner threes. And he's failing to chase people like Landry Shaman around screens. Stuff that literally has nothing to do with his role. Glenn Robinson, who was acquired with his teammate Alec Burks, for a bag of basketballs, pretty much. Maybe he's just not playing well. And look, I don't want to shit on Glenn Robinson too much because I certainly think he can play better. This is a small sample. It's only been a couple weeks, but he's been bad. But if you don't think that the Philadelphia 76ers, an organization that employs 8 million coaches, like they have a teacher-to-student ratio that a fancy private school could only dream of. If you think they acquire a player at the trade deadline and don't tell him what is expected of him. And by the way, immediately drop him in the starting lineup too. Like they just have him shoot by himself on one hoop in the corner. (laughs) They they have him rebounding for himself. Holy God, you need to just check whatever biases you have because it's crazy. And I think... To, to finish this up, I think it's possible at this point to think that Brett Brown needs to go without buying into stuff like this. And by the way, Brett was pissed about this. He was late for his pregame media yesterday, and he's always a couple minutes late. He was about 10 minutes late, and I'm speculating here recklessly, so so don't take this as gospel. But I think what he's, and I think he said this too, he asked the PR guy what is in the marketplace Essentially, like, what are people writing about the Sixers? Has there been anything even somewhat explosive over the past 24, 48 hours? He found out about this. I think he yelled 
to Glenn Robinson. He yelled at Glenn Robinson. And then he came back in late. And then when he was asked about it, there was a little fire there. Like, he couched it with that he likes Robinson and thinks he was good, but he was not happy about it. And he is in the right... He's right about that because Glenn Robinson is not good enough no. to be talking like that. I don't no. know. That's and just, look, a lot it, of people... He'll hear, people will hear, I don't know my role. And people will say, well, he, what do you mean? He doesn't know what he's supposed to do on the court? Now, Glenn Robinson stands in the quarter, shoots open threes, cuts off the ball and plays defense. That's been Glenn Robinson's role every stop in the NBA. That will be Glenn Robinson's role for as long as he is employed in the NBA. This isn't rocket science. Man. It's not rocket science. He They threw him into a game when he hadn't even practiced with the team and he yes. was fine. Right. Because his role requires nothing. Right. Like, you know, if he makes shots and... Ugh. But I mean, both Glenn and Brett sort of said the quiet part out loud, which I was a little surprised about, but they both made reference to he's in a contract year. I, I think Glenn even said, I've got to feed my family. Like he's, he's role is oftentimes about touches and minutes. And Glenn went from a 30 minute per game player averaging what, 12 or 13 points a game to a 15 minute per game player. And if you don't think that had a part, I mean, they basically admitted to it. Do I understand where Glenn Robinson is coming from? Sure. He's never been secured in his NBA life. I totally get that. And you sort of have to predict that a little bit when you're acquiring somebody from the worst team in the league and changing his role right before his, his, his contract year ends. But there's a better way to go about that. Like you say, look, you ask that question. You say, look, I'm at a new team. I'm on a new team, new teammates, new coach, new system. It's going to take some time. And that's it. You can explain away your poor performances. You can explain away your dropping minutes. You can basically accomplish what you were looking to accomplish without causing a mini controversy, which Let's be honest, it'll blow over in two days anyway. Like by the time they lose two more road games, nobody's going to care about Glenn Robinson third <laughs> and his role. And they will lose two more games. And they will games. lose two more road games. But look, dude, <laughs> you're playing dog shit defense. You've missed your first 11 three-pointers. You've missed five of those 11 three-pointers that have come from the corners where you've been wide open. You haven't made a three-pointer in 100 minutes with the Sixers. You've started three of your, what, six or seven games that you've you've, you've been in Philadelphia. And you're playing... 15 to 20 minutes a night, like make a shot and defend and you'll probably get more time. It's not like, look at the number of, and of, you'll probably of, get more money. People will probably pay more attention. Wow. He's actually contributing on a good team. Like I don't buy this idea that you have to put up numbers. Oh, if your team is garbage, like I think the NBA is smart enough to realize now. Look at Trey Burke. Trey Burke put up numbers on garbage teams and he got, he got a minimum contract. People want to see, okay, look, Glenn Robinson, you put up good numbers on the worst team in the league. Let me see what you can do on a playoff contender. If you can play 20 minutes per game on a playoff contender, maybe your numbers aren't as good, but you've increased your interested teams from a couple to the entire league. And not only that, but you have a team who you have a chance to get to know individually and who they get to have a chance to know you. You can impress them. And Glenn Robinson's not a team that's going to have a full mid-level exception that they might taxpayer that they might be able to break up. Right. And Glenn Robinson's not going to go out and earn like taxpayers, like just under $6 million. He's not going to earn more than that annually. So it's not like, it's not like he's hoping to get a bigger contract than the Sixers can offer. Like impress your current team. You have a great chance to impress the team that currently employs you and that you're around every day. That's not the best way to go about doing that. Look, just don't burn bridges. It was very, I I did not expect to have a Glenn Robinson, the third controversy two weeks into his Sixers career, but here we are. And, And wrapping it up, you said it exactly. Right. And this is not all on Glenn Robinson because because you're right about this. When your team is wildly inconsistent and somewhat unhappy, 
This is the stuff type of stuff out. that pops up. Yep. That's and that's not just on him. Um, so, so what do you think would be a success on this road trip? A win. Yeah, I do too. I, th- I think that's it. I think, I think it's certainly more likely that they go zero and four than two and two. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. I would say if you had to like pick the most likely, I think one and three is. I think they'll find a way against Sacramento, <laughs> which just sounds so bad. But with, especially with Steph coming back, I think he's supposed to come back this weekend, which means he certainly should be back by next weekend. Not that they can't win that game, because like I'm that sure team Steph is terrible, is, but and I'm sure Steph is going to be like it's going to take him some time to get back up to speed, both in terms of how many minutes he's going to play and also just getting back into the flow of NBA basketball. But it's not like the Sixers match up well against a guy like Steph either. I mean, he makes him three hundred percent scarier. Oh, for sure, for sure. He just gets hot. Yeah. Fun road trip I have coming up. And look, well, I'm not going to complain too much. I am. My work is paying me to go spend five days in LA. I'll I'll manage. Don't 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 worry too much about me. Make sure but you I'm, take some time to get that Uber or Lyft to Staples. That's pretty far. You know, I don't want to yes, turn into a Californians SNL sketch, but you know, if you're staying closer to the beach, that takes a little while. The traffic's yes. bad. No, I'm, I hear you. I hear you. But uh, I do not expect to see a lot of great basketball. And if they do, I'll I'll be happily surprised. That would be good. You know what's the underrated stop on that spot? And really, like, if L.A. and uh, San Francisco are the other two places, there's only one other place that would be underrated. Sacramento. Granted, I didn't see the entire city. And I mean, why would I want to do that? But both the arena and the area around the arena, a bunch of restaurants included, very nice spot. Yeah. That will be nice thing about it. I, I like the, the cities where I can pretty much just drive up to the arena. I love that. Yeah, it's uh, one of the it's one of those two. L.A. and San Fran, that's not happening. Yeah, new arena in San Fran. At least you don't have to uh, schlep over to Oracle. Although that was a very cool place to watch a game. <sighs> Hopefully, what's the longest trip you've been on for our company? Hmm. Because it- I did that trip last year. I think it was only one L.A. stop, but Denver was involved at one point too. And by the time I got to Sacramento, the last stop, I was a mess. It was like a nine-day trip. I ran out of clean clothes, so I think I just wore my Under Armour quarter zip on the last stop to the game. I just, I had ceased caring, and uh, I think I looked disheveled. Probably looked like I smelled bad. I, I still was showering, but uh, man, I love getting to travel and see all these cities and arenas. But those, uh, those week-long trips, I am not built for them or traveling, just like the Sixers. But uh, yeah. I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure this will be I think eight days will be the longest. I think the second longest was probably London. Just oh, because yeah. you got out there so long before and stayed after. And All Star in LA two years ago was pretty long too. Playoffs aren't too long because you have two games and then you gotta keep bouncing from city to city. I'll tell you what, the the drive from Philly to Milwaukee to Charlotte and back, that was a different kind of trip. But, yeah, uh, that, that sounds rough. It's a different kind of trip. I'm pretty sure this eight day one will be the longest. Yeah, I'm not. I'm I'm not exactly built for travel either. I'm too too neurotic for traveling. But well, I, I can't wait to hear how punchy you sound when you come back. <laughs> yeah, well, after wait, four wait, probable losses too. Four one. Well, we've got to do two podcasts during that trip too. So uh, yeah, it'll it'll be a fun one. It'll be a fun one. All right. Well, take um, notes on your on your sightseeing and, and what you. <laughs> Maybe walk wish, down Hollywood Boulevard. Tell me what you see. Yeah. 
Well, I'm, I'm running a car and driving from LA to Sacramento, so I'm going to try to get a tiny bit of sightseeing in. Little Pacific Coast Highway? One of those? Is uh, that... Sure. I haven't even looked up the route yet, but yeah. All right. Sounds good. I don't, I don't know. I think that sounds what you would I take. I have no idea. But I, I have no know. idea. I don't All know right. what I'm talking about. Thanks for jumping on, Rich, and we will talk to you soon. See you, man.